0: Hello, and welcome to Queer Discourse with Lou Barrett. It's me, Lou Barrett. On the show, I am talking with a longtime friend of mine, Rhodes Rosman. Rhodes Rosman. Doesn't that sound like the name of some kind of fine artist, right? Rhodes Rosman. Today, exhibiting at the art museum the work of Rhodes Rosman. (laughs) Can't you all hear it? Well, Rhodes Rosman is, in fact, an artist And they are also a baker. They're non-binary. I was super excited to talk to them about this specific book. Today, we are talking about, we both laughed in pleasure, the selected diaries of Lou Sullivan. Lou Sullivan was an activist and trans man. He did a lot of work for trans men and was gay. And that was also something that came up in his work a lot. Because at that time, people still struggled with The idea that you can be both trans and gay. Unfortunately, obviously, people still struggle with that now. um, But at that time, it was completely unheard of. One of his most famous works was a handbook called Information for the Female to Male Crossdresser and Transsexual. You can actually download the handbook as a PDF in its entirety from a website called digitaltransgenderarchive.net. There is a plethora of amazing things on that website. I will put the link for this one specifically in the show notes, but seriously, uh, check it out. There's a lot to dig through. If you've been paying attention, you'll know my name is Lou. <laughs> uh, I did not name myself Lou after Lou Sullivan. I did it because of Lou Reed, which is also, uh, if you read this, his diaries, you'll know that's why he named himself Lou as well. I was, uh, it took me a little bit to get through this, honestly, just because it's, it, it's a different flow of a book reading someone's diaries versus something that has more of an arc but I'm really glad I did it. It was super cool seeing what um, is on someone's mind. What are they paying attention to? What are they thinking about that they're going to be seeing as like the most important thing to jot down in their diary? And as I thought would happen, Rhodes and I definitely went down a lot of different rabbit holes in this episode as we do in our everyday conversations. Please make sure to subscribe and to rate and review this podcast. Everybody. I talked to a couple aliens this week. I have some connections. They said, Lou, I actually really think we can make this the number one show on the planet. And I said, you guys, are you kidding? And they said, don't use guys. That's not a gender neutral word to use. And I said, okay, sorry, sorry. Do you all really think that, that we can be Um, the best podcast on the planet. And they said, yes, as long as the people listening to this show, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. And I said, God, okay, I'll do what I can. So please, everybody, (laughs) rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends, share it in your story and say, oh my God, I'm listening to the coolest podcast on the planet. That's all you need to do. You can also support us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Barrett. We also have merch now. You can get a beautiful sweater with the beautiful illustration on it at www.purplepalmpress.com/ slash shop. You can also get a sticker. There's also a million other cool things on purpledpalmpress.com. So go browse away. <laughs> um, without further ado, let's get into today's podcast. Enjoy. So, hey, Rhodes. Hey, Lou. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. Oh, um, thank you. <laughs> why don't you introduce yourself and say a little bit about who you are? Oh, wow. Uh, okay. Hi, I'm Rhodes.
1: <laughs> I met Lou, God, what, like four years ago now? Five? Working at Poisonberry? Going on four. Going on four. Okay. Uh, that's amazing. It feels way longer. So, it does. Trying to think. I I don't know. This is now I'm getting all awkward. I don't know what I should be saying about myself.
0: What's your last name? Rhodes Rosman. There we
1: go. I should probably say that. That makes sense. <laughs> My first time doing a podcast, so bear with me.
0: I think it's good for people to hear you not thinking about saying your last name and then saying it.
1: Oh, there we go. Okay. Well, <laughs> cool. That works. Let me think. I'm a baker. I think I can call myself that now. I, I think so. I'm pretty much doing baking full time in any sort of cooking, which is exciting, slowly getting into that. I love that, which is wild. I never would have expected that I would be baking or cooking.
2: So Mm -hmm.
1: that is very fun. I'm slowly still getting into silk screening, working on that. I have this beautiful silk screen machine that my sister got me, hoping to be printing some stuff very soon. I think I have just been trying to figure out what I want to print, but then that's putting so much pressure on what I want to print rather than just trying to make stuff. Mm hmm And I feel like that's it. I am interested in everything. I've been working on building bikes, bicycles, not like motorcycles. If it was motorcycles, that would be way fucking cooler. (laughs) But it's just bikes. (laughs) So that's kind of it. And interested in any other sort of trade. And I also love reality TV. I feel like I need to throw that in there because that's always relevant.
0: Did you keep watching Selling Sunset? No,
1: I couldn't. (laughs) <laughs> that one I could not I could not keep up with that it's hard <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's that hard one's rough when we were when my mom and I were driving across we stopped in at this gallery and there was this person that was working there I bought some prints and she was I was saying that we're driving to California and she's like oh where are you at and I said that we're in Orange County just south of, south of L.A and she was like oh so like like selling sunset and i was like i don't that's not really my life but also i feel like selling sunset is to me it feels accurate to la but that really? might be controversial if i say that
0: i feel like I've there i've heard that from other people who've lived in la yeah
1: it's um no i mean i'm not really part of the group that's on that show i guess but right it i mean seems accurate
0: this might be exaggerating considering <laughs> that I've been alive 29 years, but I think it might be the straightest thing I've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah. I <laughs> even like though I've seen plenty that, of straight things. Yeah, I feel
1: like even in comparison to some other reality TV shows, like Desperate, mm-hmm. not Desperate Housewives, Real Housewives, Yeah, selling Sunset feels like they're trying so hard it's almost like some of them might actually be gay, but they're trying so hard to prove that they're straight.
0: Yeah. Well, it's like I also watched Dream. I don't know. I feel like maybe it was called Dream Homemaker. It's like another like new <laughs> new show on Netflix. And there's it's like a married couple. They started this business five years ago called Studio Mickey, and they like are interior designers. Da 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 Here's the point. It's also very straight, this, like, married – it's not just that they're a married couple, but it's, like, how they orient their lives and then all the couples they're hanging out with. And I was, like, thinking about it and thinking it was funny how, like, for a lot of queer people, people are, like – there's the whole thing, like, oh, you're – are you sisters or, oh, are you brothers? But I'm, like, that's kind of – it's kind of the same with straight people. They all look like they're siblings. Yeah, yeah. Not all. This of is them. true.
1: <laughs> Not all straight people. Yeah, I mean, a lot, I think I think like most white people look alike. But I've said that before, and some people have gotten upset. But I think it's pretty true. I look at so many cis white men, mm-hmm. and so many of them look the same. Like Everyone's so many a Dave. celebrities that are like white men celebrities, I cannot tell apart. Yeah, at all, they're like identical.
0: Well, I think there's a level of a lot of these people are adhering to a certain beauty standard. For sure. And, like, what is conventionally attractive. Yeah. And so when they're all doing that, they're all going to look the same because what they're, mm-hmm. like, following is a specific thing. Yes. Or, like, a carbon copy thing.
1: 100%. Yeah. But slowly, I feel like that has been changing. Maybe, maybe not. I feel like the beauty standards... Well, beauty standards always change, Mm -hmm. right? I feel like with each generation, but I feel like more so now, there really is such a push and move for, like, people of all body shapes to be Mm -hmm. on magazine covers or to be featured in magazines, which is, like, fucking finally, like, that's Mm -hmm. beautiful, that's amazing. And then also people... Just everybody. I feel like it's slowly right. is really changing. It still has so much work to be done. But I feel like slowly we're getting to a point where it's recognizing things that aren't the, like, conventional beauty standards that we have put out.
0: Right. I think that could also be why Selling Sunset seemed so straight to me is maybe it wouldn't seem that way if it came out five years ago. Maybe it would be like, oh, yeah, this is, like, a lot of shows like this. Yeah. It like could be because there are more straight actors and actresses and shows that show a very, oops, a variation of like style and look, even on straight Mm -hmm. people that to see like a show full of straight women all following this specific standard of beauty is like, whoa. Yeah. (laughs) Well, a lot of it too, it's not just about, oh, they're following this beauty standard, but that they're like, you need to respect him as a man or I wish you would have come to me as a woman and talked about this, like all of those kind of conversations <laughs> where I'm like, what? what are you talking about?
1: Yes. I think this podcast is slowly turning into us discussing reality TV, and I am also here for that. Which maybe yeah. that's a new one to come soon,
0: Yeah, which would uh, be amazing. Queer, Maybe that's season two, Queer Discourse with Lou Barrett, where we just talk about, Straight reality TV shows, <laughs> yes,
1: I, I, I love it. Which of course yeah. we would have to talk about the real L word, even though that's not straight reality TV shows. But there's a lot to uh, discuss in that. That I still have not seen that ever. I mean, I. That's probably good. There's a lot in it that's <laughs> very, very bad.
0: Yeah. So I, Maybe at some point I'll give it a try. Yeah. Check it out. Did you share your gender identity when you introduced yourself? Oh, I did not.
1: That's probably important. Probably still working on that one. I feel like it's ever-changing. Each year is, uh, like, each every new year, I feel like it's, like, a new gender journey, a new coming out. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I would say at this point in time, so they, them pronouns I identify as non-binary, that... So might be working on that, might be changing that. I feel like, honestly, after reading this book, I kind of had the same feelings after I read Stone Butch Blues of, like, really... Because when I first came out, I identified as FTM. And -hmm. there's a part of me that I think I keep going back to that because I feel like that, when I first came out, that is what I really connected with and knew. And that's what... Always felt best. So I feel mm-hmm. like that sums it up right there of like, yes, that is probably how I should identify, but I feel like there's still some things that I need to unload with that. Having that so sense. Still FTM, non binary, genderqueer, mm-hmm. all of it. Mm-hmm. Still they, them, he, him pronouns feel mm-hmm. good.
0: So. Did you feel like this book was? like, helpful in the sense that it's not, um, like, it's, it's not a narrative we always, like, see about trans men. Yes.
2: hmm
1: So from
0: that perspective, I feel like
1: it, I mean, in the beginning, he's talking about, like, just going through of being a kid and mentioning these things that, like, oh, I wish I was a boy. I need to find, like, an exact a direct quote but I just remember reading it and maybe that's why it was also so hard because it was like oh I relate to so much of what is being said in this book mm. and like I remember being a little kid feeling that way but also never thinking about gender it's like that story that my mom told of when I was in like preschool and they asked for the boys and the girls to get into their lines And then apparently I just stood in the middle and they said to me, go to your line. And I was like, no. And so then at the time it was like, I was using my birth name. So then I was like, no, I'm just Iris Rosman. And that was it. Mm -hmm. So then it was like, there was nothing of like, I, at that point in time, I feel like is so accurate to how I feel now of like, no, I'm just like, I'm just me. Mm -hmm. So it's funny that... At such a young age, it already feels like I knew that instinctively. Like, I didn't feel associated with either. And I feel like that's kind of a little bit what Lou was getting at Mm -hmm. in the book. Of course, like, being more associated with identifying as a man and being FTM. But I still feel like as they're going through it, And figuring things out, I think it is more just, I don't know, not really wanting to be associated with either, feeling such a huge part of both. Mm -hmm. I think that is something that can be a downfall sometimes of being pushed into just choosing one thing. I know I was terrified of that, of like Mm -hmm. switching, of like changing pronouns and worrying so much about everybody else, of like having everybody else having to deal with that, of <clears throat> yeah. So I think it can be hard when we still try to like confine people to boxes. That it's gender is so hard to just put into one
0: box. Mm-hmm. Well, and to me, it makes sense that that mm-hmm. would be really confusing for kids because these are really yeah. concrete things that like we're socialized to do. And then for many adults, feel really like easy or normal or whatever Mm -hmm. but to me it would make sense that for some kids that would be like confusing or not make sense yeah but I think it probably also has to do with like families I mean your mom is like I don't know like artistic and open and yeah you know but I also I thought it was interesting with him I feel like There's plenty of narratives or people's stories I've read about, um, like gay trans men who never even think that they're trans because they're attracted to men. And they're like stuck in the idea that like, Mm -hmm. well, then of course I'm a woman or something like stuck Mm -hmm. in this, you know, heterosexuality going along with being cis. Um, but it felt like the way he talked about things that that wasn't, that wasn't part of his questioning, Like, he wasn't like, well, this can't be real if I like men. Like, it felt like he was, like, always separating them. Yeah. Which I thought that was really interesting. No, that was... Yeah, that was
1: great. Yeah. I loved that. I love that. I think it's such a great... You don't... There's not much talk about gay trans people, if Mm -hmm. that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So whether you're a trans woman and you identify as a lesbian, a trans man, trans man and you identify as gay. So I feel like this is like a really special book to read from that perspective and especially if you feel that way mm-hmm. and feel like you can't identify that way because there's already so much pushed on you to stay within the binary, mm-hmm. if you identify, if you're if you if you're trans So then there's almost, like, the push of, like, you have to be straight. I feel like when people come out as trans, it's, like, almost harder when they're, like, no, I'm a butch woman or Mm. I'm an effeminate gay man. It's, like, people can't wrap their heads around that. Yeah, It's, like, wait, if you're trans, you need to go, like, all the way, the other way.
0: Right. Yeah, I had, like, a seven-hour conversation with my... aunt once about how could Caitlyn Jenner still be attracted to women after transitioning mm-hmm. and I kept explaining it. at the time I was still identifying as a woman so I was like well like I like women and I'm this so why you know and I think right I feel like I've read that at least with trans women that there's statistically more like queer or lesbian trans women than there are straight trans women. Um, And I would guess that that's the same for trans men, like maybe not necessarily gay, but more queer, Um, Mm. more trans men that date people of a variety of genders than not. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things you and I talked about when we were talking about this book before you left was how I like thought it was so interesting that he was such an integral part of the queer community and especially in his local queer community, but he like never talked about it. He started yeah. to more at the end, which I hadn't read that far. So I didn't realize he was going to talk about it more. Right. right. But it was like, the, it was interesting because I felt like it like spoke to how like, I mean, whatever we're journaling about is just like whatever is the most top of mind thing And so it seemed like for him, his like political activism and his writing was almost never top of mind in comparison to his love life or like his sexual, Mm. his sex life, which I thought was really interesting. It made me think about like what my journals would look like, which I don't like write a journal currently, but I feel like I'm pretty hyper work focused that that would be a lot of what I'd write about. Yeah, but it's it's kind of interesting because to me it just felt like a clear example that someone can be really passionate about that their work, but n- kind of like I don't know, not always be thinking about it. Have them separate. Yeah,
1: it's wild to think that that's possible. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Do you think if you were journaling, you would just be writing like bread recipes down? <laughs> I honestly, probably, because it's also a passion.
1: So I think it's, it's difficult. That's probably why, I mean, he's writing about some of the work that he's done because it's Mm -hmm. also something he's passionate about. He's not writing about work because I feel like your journals, you're writing about the things that you want to escape from Mm -hmm. or you're passionate about and want to talk about more. But I think going off that, it was interesting there's really no talk of anything political. And mm-hmm. that's also something we were getting into when we briefly talked about it of, I think it's hard to think about anything, not political just because of everything that's happened this year and it's mm-hmm. still going on. So it's such a politically heightened like, mental space this year. Mm-hmm. Everything, everything you see, everything you read about is political. Even mm-hmm. a pandemic has been made political So it's hard, I felt like it was kind of hard for me to be reading this and be like, knowing all of the historical things that happened Mm. for queer people. And like I said, we, I brought up Harvey Milk. Harvey Milk is not mentioned in this, which is interesting (laughs) that he's living in San Francisco at the time that Harvey Milk was running and elected and then was murdered. So it's, or assassinated, like, I guess Mm -hmm. they're the same thing, but it's that was just interesting to me because I feel like I for myself I probably would have been writing about political things or what was on my mind politically
0: right well then I guess it's like there's a question of was is even though his work was very political maybe he wasn't in ways that political yeah Mm -hmm. yeah which I don't know enough about his like his history outside of reading his, his journals to know if like a lot of people would totally disagree and think of him as like a super political person. Mm-hmm. But I feel like there's some level of any queer person doing some kind of political work is inherently seen as like this super political person. Um, right. When that may not necessarily be true. I also That's was like true. just That's thinking true. about, if with him not talking about work stuff so much, if that's also a difference in, like, the times and, like, like I feel like millennials are so um, – even though there's a lot of anti-capitalism among uh, millennials, there's oh, also yeah. a lot of, like, a driving force toward finding your passion and meaningful work and – you know, being really into what you do. Like, if we're in capitalistic society, we should really like our jobs and da-da-da-da-da. And Mm -hmm. there's, like, a lot of stuff about work. Whereas, I don't know, maybe at this time, people just weren't thinking about work in that way for it to be so much a part of your, like, psychology. Right. Right. Yeah, you're – exactly. Now, that that makes
1: total sense. You're not trying – at the time, it was just you just find a job just to make money and to live off of. Mm-hmm. But your work didn't then become your life. Right. Which is like now, like you're saying, it's so much more a part of people now want to find a job that they really love doing, mm-hmm. and which is amazing. But that's also a very new thing. Right. Which is totally crazy to think about.
0: <laughs> yeah. I was just talking about that with someone yesterday because I feel like for the boomers and maybe generations before that, a lot of the drive was find a job to support your family. Find a job that will pay you well. Find a mm-hmm. job you can retire at, at a quote unquote mm-hmm. good company. But like yeah. what you were going to be doing w- mattered a lot less. Yeah. And then, and there's also a level of, like, it seems like his work was, like, really important. Like, I mean, like, I guess, like, his work was really related to, like, who he was and, like, feelings and ideas he had, Mm -hmm. but that there was still some level of separation with his personal life. Yeah. So I think that's, like, the big piece with that.
3: attention people, young and old. Guess what? I have a special offer for you today. There is a place on Larchmere Boulevard. Maybe you've heard of it. This place is called Larchmere Fireworks. Okay, now I have your attention. Now you're wondering, does this thing, this place offer? And I'll tell you what they offer. Glass blowing and blacksmithing. That's right, glass blowing and blacksmithing right on Larchmere. You may have thought in your life, "Hey, I want to make a sword. I don't know if they you can make a sword there. I want to make something out of glass. You can definitely do that. Come on down. If you mention the podcast, you get ten percent off, which is a beautiful discount. And not only that, but you may be you may maybe. I want to go there. I want to do this, but I don't know what I'm doing. That's okay. Tina and Cassie are two of the nicest people you'll ever meet in your life. They run the store. They're so welcoming and kind. You're going to feel right at home, and you're going to walk away making something new. Spice up your day. Do something different, okay? Do a little glass blowing. You might surprise yourself. Mention the podcast, 10% off. That's Larchmere Fireworks on Larchmere Boulevard.
0: I'm not a drinker myself. I seriously, I don't drink at all. However, there's a super cool bar on the West side of Cleveland called Jukebox. It's called Jukebox because you guessed it, there's a jukebox there. It has something like a hundred records to play. And yes, I don't drink, but they have an awesome food menu, including vegan and gluten-free options. I'm currently on the gluten-free kick because I always want people to have a hard time feeding me. They have one of the largest outdoor patios in Cleveland, which is super cool, especially now with social distancing. So if you're looking for an inclusive bar, they have rainbow flags on the windows. You'll feel right at home at Jukebox on the west side of Cleveland. Again, that's Jukebox Cleveland on the west side. was something else with the book that you thought a lot about
1: I think there were the points when was it I don't know if it was when he maybe you could help me refresh my mind on this when so he come he's like coming out or he's identifying as Lou Mm -hmm. and is dressing masculine dressing however feels most comfortable to him And there's a point then when he's identifying that way, but then he I think maybe it was like Jay was back in his life, that then Mm -hmm. he started identifying as a woman again, Mm -hmm. or identifying going back to of like dressing more feminine or like wearing nightgowns and like going back into this whole realm that I think is a very interesting part of sometimes people's like gender transition or like gender journey as it is for everybody. Like that was something that really stood out to me that was very unique. Cause I, I know I have been through that.
2: Mm-hmm. of like
1: still, cause I think there's this feeling of you almost feel like you need to lose one part of yourself mm-hmm. or like you need to shut off of like, Oh, if I'm identifying this certain way that I can't feel, whether you're identifying more feminine, you feel like you can't feel more masculine, but there is, Mm -hmm. that's not true at all. But I feel like for myself, it was like, that was something that I was trying to figure out of Mm -hmm. like, I still connect to this. This is still like, I grew up this way, or this is like such a huge part of me that I do feel a connection to that feels comfortable and everybody might not have that. So I think there was something with it that that was hard. So then when I was reading that, it was interesting because I don't think it was necessarily for him. It was like a comfort thing. I think it Mm -hmm. was still he was like trying. He was really trying to maybe he wasn't fully embracing himself and wasn't fully comfortable Mm -hmm. yet because, of course, he was like with abusive partners that kept Mm -hmm. telling him that he shouldn't that he's essentially a freak or shouldn't Mm – why is he doing this? Like shouldn't go through with any sort of sex change operation. Shouldn't get top surgery. That's going to be weird or get a bottom surgery. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was – I don't know. Those little bits just really stuck out to me because, again, that's like something that you don't – that is so vulnerable. That is Mm -hmm. so personal. That is something you don't really hear about. And I felt like that – I don't know. That – I feel like those parts really had me, like, tearing up. I just really mm. connected to that a lot. I thought it was – there was a lot that – yeah. I don't know. I just connected to. Yeah. I need to find – there are definitely some. I have so many of these pages dog-eared
0: that yeah, I need to I try and – Yeah, I do, too, and, and I, like, have some <laughs> stuff highlighted, and then other times I didn't have a highlighter. I know. So then I just, like, dog-eared them. And then I – yeah, I did
1: that, and then I was like, what was I trying – I dog-eared it for a reason, but then I read over it, and I'm like, I
0: don't know why I did that.
2: hmm
1: But.
0: Oh, I just saw on one line I really liked. He's, like, um, talking about a therapist appointment and said, heard a gay therapist – oh, it's not a, on a talk show. Heard a gay therapist on a talk show explaining how gay men are always – are searchings who search all the time, all their lives – That even with a monogamous relationship, they search for new ways of defining relationship because there are no role models, as in the head scene. I like the idea of being a searcher. We're always searching, we see many things and absorb much and look for more. I really like that. I feel like there were like nuggets where he'd say something like super poignant and like, oh, "Oh, yeah. And then like a lot of it is him going in like great detail about the sex he was having oh yes <laughs> <laughs> And like which it, also oh sorry what are What are you gonna say <laughs> well I was just gonna say and it being written much less poetic like it being feeling more like he's just explaining what was happening yeah yeah what were you gonna say though? that no I was just gonna
1: say I feel like when it first in the beginning of the book, it like starts happening where he's talking more about his sex life, and then I feel like you said this when we were talking about it. it's just like, then there's a point where that's all he's talking about almost is just sex,
2: mm-hmm. which is
1: like, hey, I love sex, I love reading about sex, sex is great, right. but there's almost a point where I was just like,
0: okay, a hundred percent, okay, 100%. give me something something <laughs> right. else. Yeah. And that was, I think, one of the things I talked about with you, told you that I was feeling too. And you said you were surprised because I'm so into sex. And I was like, yeah. And I was like, I think it felt like some (laughs) level I was just reading the same scene over and over again. Yeah. And I think that's why I struggled to like get through it. And Mm -hmm. it took me a little longer. And I was also thinking about because there's so much journals, there's not like an arc in the same way there is in like a memoir or like a fiction book. So I think it could sometimes just felt like you were just staying on the same plane the whole time. Yeah. Um, And that made it a little weird. Uh, I was kind of surprised it like took me so long to get through.
2: Oh my gosh.
0: This was like something I, I, about kind of like bottoming that I saw that I was like, oh my gosh, so interesting. He said, no one wants to admit it. No one wants to admit it's there, but there's no escaping it. To be fucked is to be put down and embarrassed, but I don't believe I'd feel that way towards him if I had a cock to put in his ass. So I don't know. And I, (laughs) (laughs) but I remember reading that and not agreeing at all, like with that sentiment, Uh, but thinking that's like such like an interesting and intense way to like look at being fucked. Oh yeah. A lot
1: of it was really intense. I mean, all of it is so, I mean, of course, with anybody when you're having sex, it's so associated with how you identify. Mm-hmm. But even more so when you're reading this, mm-hmm. it is
0: very much directed at that.
2: I don't right.
1: know. I
0: need to, it, yeah. And it seems like he, he like, because what was his name was what? Tom? The second, boyf- the second boyfriend? Uh, or T? Oh, T. he just called him T. Yeah. I don't. I just decided his name was Tom for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> but he was talking about it in relation to T, which I don't know how you felt, but I found the relationship with T, like, a lot more intensely difficult to read about than with Jay, even though Jay, the relationship was so much longer. Um, T, brief me up on um,
1: T again, because I'm reading through some – Some things that I have, oh, was he, was he the young?
0: Yeah, the younger boyfriend that he ended up,
1: mm -hmm,
0: that they ended up living together and being together for like a total of like seven years or something.
1: And he, but Lou was like really pursuing him, right? He was like, this was in San Francisco and Mm -hmm. he was like friends with one of
0: like the neighbors that he had.
2: Mm-hmm. Is
1: that correct, right?
0: Yeah, I think so. Um, I don't remember about the neighbor thing, but yeah. And Lou was pursuing him, but was also like, T was continuing to like kind of flirt or like
2: mm-hmm. seem
0: like they wanted to like be with Lou in some way. And and at, at initially, Lou, they didn't know that Lou was trans. Mm-hmm. And then eventually Lou tells him. To me, that was like that whole relationship was like harder to read than Jay for some reason because with T, his like issues with T or with um, Lou being trans, a lot of it felt ingrained in his like own internalized homophobia in a way that was like less overt than Jay's, or at least it Mm -hmm. felt that way. Where it was like every time he was like feeling just like weird about being attracted to Lou, he said like something like terribly awful to him, and it was also cool to read how much Lou, um, was like I've spent my whole li- whole life like being being mm-hmm. becoming comfortable with this, mm-hmm. so you're gonna have to do it on your own time, like yeah, which I thought was really good yeah. and probably like something really good for other people to read, but. So I, he's talk, he makes that comment about bottoming when he's talking about T and a recurring thing that comes up with T is that he felt like T would never let him fuck him and that, and that Lou was always the one getting fucked. Right. So I feel like he was probably feeling that embarrassment or whatever because he was feeling like it was because he was being seen as lesser than.
1: Oh, Yeah. Yeah. And there's this point, um, in the book that I just found that is talking about, cause with T I think Lou had already had top surgery, right? So then of course he's talking about getting bottom surgery. And there's this point that I have how, that I feel like directly relates to that. And I think it's, it very much like you get a sense of their relationship, um, and how T is. So here it is. Uh, He said I should do what I have to do, but that after I did, he would no longer be attracted to me sexually. I said I didn't think he only liked me for my pussy. He stumbled around his words, but finally ended up saying he didn't know how it would affect his feelings for me sexually. I felt a glimmer of hope that he just might not find it so awful. Hmm. So that's all Lou is like I feel like with most of his relationships, is he... He isn't giving himself the full confidence, I think, in in himself, almost. Mm-hmm. Because if it's just like, oh, he's feeling the glimmer of hope that he might not find it so awful. Mm-hmm. And that's referring to bottom surgery, but then also referring to himself. Because T right. is continuously saying how, even though T was the one, he had all of the, he had like the trans women porn like porno magazines right
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: so then of course that was when Lou was like oh that was like in the beginning when then he felt comfortable he could say he was trans right but just with that and I feel like that directly relates to all of the interactions that he had whether mm-hmm. they were with all of the men of just like oh you're not gonna find me as
0: A lot, right, a lot of him being related to to desirability. Yeah. Like, that's what I was thinking earlier when you were talking about when he would go back to um, wearing skirts and stuff. And I think it seemed like with Jay, in ways, Jay was, like, really into his gender variance unless he was, like, really going for it. Like, unless he was, like, making physical changes. But when Mm -hmm. he was still dressing in skirts and stuff, he thought the gender variance was super interesting and sexy. Yeah. Um. And then whereas I think, like, T seemed to have even less self-awareness about that aspect of it. It's yeah. like you don't sleep with someone for seven years who you're not physically attracted to. I know. You know? And – but there were – yeah, there definitely were times I felt like T – or, I mean, Lou then – I feel like maybe he was going through this up and down struggle with it of feeling mm-hmm. – you know, self-assured and then not feeling self-assured, which like would make sense for a relationship like that. But at one point he was teased talking about um, him taking testosterone shots and says, um, Oh, I thought it was close. One of the things he said is why he asked me, I couldn't understand why do you want to keep, do you want to continue giving yourself those shots and Lou says, "Because they are what brought me to into humankind." And then later, like a couple pages later, he says something. I finally said, "Let's put it this way: I'd rather lose you than stop taking my than stop my shots." And yes, he, says, yeah. <laughs> and he says, "Love that." You mean that chemical is more important to you than I am? And he says, "No, I am more important to me than you are." And I was like, yes, yes. That, yes.
1: Yeah, yeah, right. I remember, I, I feel like I almost started clapping when I read that mm-hmm. at that point in the book. I was like, fucking, finally. Thank mm-hmm. you. Like, you are so worthwhile. Yeah. It, oh, yes, I loved that.
0: Yeah. And I that feel was, like reading. Oh, sorry, uh, go ahead. No, 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 go on. I felt like reading his yeah, gender journey, like so up close and like the ups and downs and like changing his mind, going back and forth. I felt like it helped me feel like a lot more, I don't know, confidence in my own journey of like, or like figuring it out. And it was also like, I've had a couple relationships that were really similar to T's, the relationship with T and where I was like, oh God. And I feel like when you're reading someone else go through it, it helps you realize how shitty it is. Mm -hmm. And then I felt like that was almost like help to like be aware when it's happening. Cause I feel like for a lot of people that probably feels like such a, I don't know, isolated experience or it probably feels more like something is wrong with them if they don't have like, haven't seen it happen and like don't know that it's like a bad thing. And like, obviously my gender is like, so different than lose but i've definitely mm-hmm. dated people who struggle with the idea of me using they them pronouns or like feeling yes. masculine <laughs> and feminine or like everyone just wants me to be the feminist femme barbie right. kind of a right. thing and i've even felt like recently because what i'm trying to do is accept more that my ex- expression and identity is a lot more fluid um then, I i mean, I feel like I understand that, but it's like if people are all seeing this one look of you, then, I don't know, it's harder for other people to grasp. And then I think sometimes I've fallen into trying to make myself like, I don't know, like more palatable or a lot of mm-hmm. things for me have been desirable, desire related. Like, oh, I like yeah. want to dress like the hot babe, femme chick so that I can get butches the people I'm attracted to to be attracted to me whereas there are plenty of butches who are attracted to a variety of expression but and I think now I think like reading that and kind of like seeing so much of his internal world I like I feel like I started thinking about my own gender more than I like had been and then I was like maybe I like want to like butch it up a bit or like try these different things and like start exploring more openly um so, that you're just like attracting people who are into that.
1: Right, right. And doing that for yourself. I think that is one of the hardest things to do, especially mm-hmm. talking about desirability. And when you brought that up, I feel like something clicked in my own head of, <laughs> holy shit, I feel like almost everybody does that.
2: Mm-hmm. I
1: hate to put that generalization out there, but I think that is something of you, you're. So many people, like, I know for myself, it's, like, you're only wanting to make yourself desirable for other people and not yourself.
2: mm mm-hmm.
1: And that is, of course, so sad. And yeah. I know that is something that I, I know for myself of, like, going through that and learning that and needing mm-hmm. to put that, knowing that for myself, like, that desirability needs to come first than before other people. Right. So... Well, and I think, and also I think with it- gender, that is so related. Because mm-hmm. you're dealing with so many different things. And I feel like deep down, you're still told, like, there's so much in society about how trans people aren't desirable. So mm-hmm. then, of course, you're going into this of, how do I make myself more desirable because mm-hmm. I'm not? And
4: mm-hmm. there's, like, that
1: internal transphobia that is almost coming out that you can see. And, like, you're also reading that in this book, too, Mm-hmm. There's a lot of, and of course, with the with the partners, with everything. And that's also something that is, I hate to say good to read, but I feel like it's just so real. It's mm-hmm. just so raw, like all of it, that it, it can be hard to read when you're reading these things where people are outright transphobic or mm-hmm. how even Lou, when he's talking about some trans men, I, there was this one point where it was almost like he he's referred to trans men multiple times using she, her pronouns. Mm-hmm. And there's a little bit of that that I think was throwing me off. Mm-hmm. But maybe, and then again, I don't know if that's like a more of a historical
0: thing. Yeah, I mean, that was kind of how I read it but it's like i feel like we wouldn't really know unless we were were reading a bunch of stuff by activists at that time right right. because there was part of me that just didn't know if that's how at the time people compartmentalized people's transitions and if they did use the the pronouns they were assigned until some kind of certain point or you know because i mean when i was reading it i wasn't reading it as him being like disrespectful or shitty of people no it didn't come off that way so that's why like i assumed it was related to how people talked about things at the time or if it was just his own internalized baggage of always struggling to you know get people to like use the words that he wanted right then it i don't know if it felt like if he wasn't being explicitly asked he like right didn't do it well, there's this one bit. So there's
1: his trans friend, Jack Garland. I don't know if you remember that, but there's this point that I just found out when I was flipping through trying to. I don't know what I was trying to find, but it's talking about Jack Garland. And I think Jack Garland's the person that Lou ended up writing the book on.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So,
1: which I would. I need to find that. I want to read it. I know. That, I want to read it. He says in this, I like to call him her. Because it reminds me where I came from and how lucky I am.
4: How mm. Jack Garland
1: wanted to be Jack Garland. I wonder if he had the strength to live full time as a man before the luxury of hormone slash surgery. Mm. I feel I want to have all the surgery to go all the way in memory of Jack Garland.
0: So I that, love that. Well, yeah, right. That I mean, maybe that was like an ethos he just continued carrying with a lot of trans people where maybe it was comforting for him in his own ambiguity to be like mm-hmm. using ambiguous language for people or like right. maybe ambiguous. It wouldn't be the right word, but I mean using like a lot of different languages, using people's like, you know, quote unquote male names with female pronouns and those kinds right. of things. Right. And I think he was like, so like, so into like gender fuckery and like the weirdness of it. And, like, never seemed to show any interest in, like, fitting, like, a conventional male standard. Mm. And so part of me wonders if that's, like, part of that, too. Where he was just, like, such, like, a gender weirdo. Yeah. You know? Whereas, like, of course, now we would, like, see that as super... See it as insulting and disrespectful to not use the right pronouns. Right. But maybe he's... Maybe it was, like, he, like, wanted to... Maybe it was in some way, like, embracing other people's transness yeah. by using a variety of different language. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I could I could see that. Yeah. No, definitely.
1: Yeah, it never felt – I think at first it felt insulting mm-hmm. because kind of like you're saying of, like, now – of course it is insulting. Mm-hmm. Of course it's like you can tell when somebody is being malicious, when they have mm-hmm. malicious intent. If they're purposefully not using the right pronouns and people sometimes don't know how to ask, people feel that it's something uncomfortable, which I think slowly that is changing, which is amazing Mm -hmm. that it's like, it's always okay to ask people what their pronouns are. Mm -hmm. I think it's always, it's fully ensuring that you make, making sure everybody you're around or that you're with or who you're meeting feel comfortable Mm -hmm. and that you know it's like hey I recognize you if you or I'm here for you it's just like that one extra step of recognizing somebody and making people feel comfortable it's amazing everybody should do that just putting that out there everybody (laughs) should do that um but I I don't know where I was going I lost my train of thought but I think
0: I think the point you made about how it's you often now, if someone uses the incorrect pronouns for someone, it's often intentional and coming from, like, a malicious place. So it makes sense that reading that, there's, like, this, like, ooh. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. No, right up. Exactly.
1: So, I don't know. I feel like I'm almost still processing fully how I feel. But I really – I also loved the the intro that they give. And I feel like in the Mm -hmm. intro, they kind of say – they talk yeah, they about the language. Say no.
0: <laughs> right, right. are <laughs> going... Say, well, it- he, he'll kind of say some weird stuff, but we're keeping it for integrity. Right, right. So I think...
1: Which is cool to have that. And then also to know, like, this is... This is just how it was. This is how mm-hmm. it is. So, And just to see how much has changed. I feel like from that point, too, it's so interesting. But also, while I was reading the whole book... I already was like, since you know that Lou Sullivan is trans, so mm-hmm. reading it from when he was a child, I mm-hmm. still was reading everything from like, I guess, knowing that he's trans. Mm-hmm. So even, I feel like that kind of gave it, maybe it like changed their perspective for the first diary entries a little bit. Of as I'm reading it, as it's like he's talking about. Mm-hmm different things relating to gender it's like well we know he's a trans man so then getting that out of your head is kind of difficult unless you have no idea who lou sullivan is and then you're just reading it which of course when i first
0: when you gave me the book i i didn't know which i Mm -hmm. hate to say but i didn't know who lou sullivan was i know and it's like also weird for me because i named myself lou which yeah it's a good which i did because of lou reed which is also why he names himself lou but, yeah, I was, like, surprised that I hadn't heard of him. Yeah. I, or yeah. Like, actually, well, I heard of him because I'd heard of this book. My friend Josh had texted me about how he was reading it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of people in queer history I'm not aware of. But still, it was, like, right. that it was, like, a trans gay trans guy who was a writer. Right. I was a little surprised by myself. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Which is sad to say, though, that it's, like, there are so many important figures in queer history that even queer people don't know about
2: Mm
1: -hmm. because it's not taught like queer history is not taught it's not talked about or if it is people don't have an accurate representation of it or the history of it right like people don't know about Sylvia Rivera or Marsha P.
0: Johnson Mm -hmm. which is iconic fortunately know about those two figures what I said, fortunately, know about those two. Fortunately, right. I know about those two. <laughs> um, but yeah, or Leslie Feinberg. Right. Plenty right. of people probably don't know who wow. Leslie Feinberg is. So everybody listening to this,
1: please uh, look into Leslie Feinberg.
0: <laughs> I think Leslie Feinberg was one of the greatest thinkers of their time.
1: Yeah. I, I can definitely agree with that.
0: Yeah. I
1: mean, everything... I know we're talking about this book, but quickly mm-hmm. to talk about much Blues <laughs> and how it's one of the best books ever written, I will always stand by that. Again, that was another book that I think I mentioned that earlier in this. Just like when I read it, it was just like, oh my gosh, this is like a full you're going through this whole gender journey with somebody mm-hmm. and who, mm-hmm. like how they're coming to terms with it and going right. about it and just like their life and what the life was like. I can't remember the exact time period. So I don't want to say it and have it not be correct, but maybe sixties. Yeah. I thought sixties. So going through this being trans in the sixties and mm-hmm. everything in the book. And then you get more of an idea. Think of just like, I it makes me more appreciative when I'm reading those things. Totally. I'm just like holy fuck like
0: Yeah. We are so lucky. Yeah, Stone Butch Blues changed my life. I read yeah. I was like <laughs> crying the first like 150 pages.
4: And it yeah. was funny,
0: I was like explaining to someone who hadn't read it and then I was like, "But so you know like it's like really sad. Like it's like really a lot of it's <laughs> really hard to read." And they were like, "Yeah, everybody who tells me to read this book says that," and I'm just like, "Well, why would I want to read it?" Like, I'm like, "You know, you just gotta read it, okay?" But yeah, you, it's really traumatizing. To it. But yeah, you gotta read it. But yeah, we'll eventually do that on the show, me and you. I, I like, I can't gotta write. get a copy. Yeah, listeners, oh, if you ever come across a copy that is, I would say, yes. under thirty dollars. Buy um, it and but, mail it to or, us, or right. Please um, email uh, email me queerdiscourse at gmail.com. Say this is where it is. I'll call and order it immediately. the pro- The weird thing about Stonewitch Blues is that it's really hard to find a copy for under like two hundred dollars. For some reason, they're all <laughs> like um, because it's out of print, but. There are plenty of bookstores that will have them being sold for like five dollars. It's like I know it's that's the, it's I like, lucked out. I know every time I'm in a new bookstore, I look and there's a Cleveland bookstore who knows that it's on my list. So if they ever come across it, uh but yeah, it's hard. Uh, I, I read a I read a borrowed company that was a borrowed copy that was signed by Leslie Feinberg. and a person found it while they were camping instructor it was at a local bookstore for like two dollars insanity
1: yeah that is i don't know what i would do if i found that i i would lose it and then i'd come home and put it in a glass case
0: yeah i would like put it in a safe yeah oh yeah for sure that's a book I would never let anyone borrow. Yeah. There are a few books of mine that I'm like, I actually don't know if there's any books right now that I wouldn't let anyone borrow. I think I would, I think I have a different relationship to my books now, but it's also like none of the books I have cost like $80 to get a new one. <laughs> right. Right. I know. I... So the stakes are different.
1: <sighs> Miss my copy. <laughs>
3: Okay. A lot of people want to do yoga. I can't bend. I can't do that. I can't close my eyes, you know, for two seconds. Enough is enough. Come and check out AbideYogaCleveland.com. It's a yoga studio on Larchmere Boulevard and they offer a welcoming, safe, happy place for all levels of yogis you could call yourself a yogi if you do one class so you come in check out their website in these times of COVID they're offering outdoor classes they're offering zoom classes this is a truly important thing that could really positively affect your life so check them out you're listening to the podcast you love what you see you want more well you can't woo Barrett owns a publishing company called purple palm press purple palm press is not just alliteration okay this is an outlet for queer people and queer artists to express themselves and to share stories specifically focused on dating and relationships always a spicy and interesting time so you may be listening to this and say i like what i'm hearing and i want to do more i want to be part of this i want it that's what i say when i listen and you can because you can go to lou barrett's Patreon, also known as patreon.com backslash Lou Barrett. And there you can donate a little chunk of change. You know, if you're there, why not? And guess what? 50% goes to Lou, 50% goes to Purple Palm Press, and 100% of us are happy because we got more ability to make content and we're supporting each other and everything's great. So check it out, patreon.com backslash Lou Barrett.
0: The last thing I, I wanted to talk about, we're coming close to getting ready to get off here. Um, oh, okay. Was, <laughs> <laughs> was, uh, I really liked how much he talked about trying to resolve his male-female conflict. Like that phrasing was super interesting to me. And I like made a post cause I hit my two year non-binary anniversary on Monday
4: and uh, i yeah, wrote a p- thanks
0: <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> and i wrote a post about um i like referenced this book and i said that he talks about trying to resolve his female con- male female conflict and now I- and i'm trying to learn how to embrace my male female conflict mm-hmm. and i feel like it's a lot of his relationship with jay he keeps talking about that and i found like one part um He says, we talked of the problem of bringing the male side and female side together into one person. I told him I was more interested in learning how to separate the male and female side, that that was my big problem, being able to call upon my female mind when appropriate and set aside the male mind when necessary, that the two sides intermingle to such an extent that I feel I have no control over what's going to happen next. I thought it was so interesting. And he eventually like stops kind of talking about those things in that exact way. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's like something he talks about a lot. And I think like, I mean, I think we have like kind of similar feelings about this, but I just think, you know, it's all made up. Like we're all people who have like duality and multifaceted Mm -hmm. personalities. So we have feelings or behaviors that would be associated as, feminine or masculine and that we're the ones (laughs) who compartmentalize them into these two camps. But it was like interesting reading him like struggling with struggling with that. I'm like, how can I be both at the same time? Yeah. He says at one point, the reasons I decided in 1976 not to pursue transsexualism were one because I was too unsure of myself to take on that major change Two, I hadn't reconciled my female-male conflict. And three, because Jay said he would leave me, and I didn't believe I could go on in life without him. But it's like this constant thing he talks about. I explained why I was no longer afraid of my female half, but felt I could incorporate those feelings into my male feelings. It's just like, to me, so interesting the ways... He's talking about it like that. They're almost like they're tangible objects, like tangible things in his mind that like these like two circles that are like, can't be touching. Oh, that's,
1: that's, I love that. That's a great point. Yeah. I feel like now as I'm talking about this book more with you, I'm, I'm definitely appreciating it more than I did when I was reading it. Oh really? (laughs) Yeah. Which I hate to say, but.
0: Yeah, Yeah. there's this is another one I like told him I don't feel like a man trapped in a woman's body. And he laughed and said, nobody does. That's just a catchy phrase coined by the medical profession. And that being a transsexual does not dictate anything other than your feelings about yourself. And I have a perfect right to be a gay man if that's what I want. which I loved (laughs) because I, like, hate the I'm trapped in the body kind of thing. And I feel like I've often thought about how I feel like that's a part of the narrative so people who – some people who are trans see that and then they start to identify with that. But I do think it initially came from an assimilation thing. And Mm -hmm. just, like, with gay people, it's like,
4: we can't
0: help it. This is just – who we are like we can't do anything about it I feel like this is like well I'm just trapped yeah in another body yeah. I can't help right. it right you Which know that <laughs> <laughs> For it, I, it's like I, making it pathological or right um, right in some way I don't know if my my mocking my voice was maybe a little insensitive I I, I I didn't think it was. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not trying to imitate anyone specific. I'm just thinking about imitating that idea, I guess. Oh my gosh, here's another one. He didn't ask, he did ask some pretty dumb questions like, what typically masculine things do you like to do? And what typically feminine things? I don't know. How the hell am I supposed to answer that? Oh, I put cream and sugar in my coffee. That's feminine. I like to watch boxing matches on TV. That's masculine. I put bath oil in the tub. That's feminine. And I use Brut deodorant. That's masculine. God, I just told him I pretty much stick in the middle of the road things anyone can do. And that if I weren't a secretary, I'd like to get into printing and publishing. And I told him how I enjoy doing the newsletter. (laughs) (laughs) and then in the next one he says I left there rather discouraged I went to the bar parentheses masculine and then home to cry parentheses feminine (laughs) (laughs) well yeah I that yeah I remember reading through that
1: and that blew my mind but also I feel like that whenever I've thought of like having these like going into therapy for wanting to get top surgery because yeah. I'll need a letter from a therapist. That, when I was reading that, that is like what I've always thought it would be like. And mm. I mean, of course it's not. That is not mm-hmm. what it's like anymore at all. <laughs> you can go, you can talk to somebody and it's very easy to get a letter. It's unfortunate that we have to get a letter. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know. I just really threw me off but also that was like when I remember I was going to my therapist and I felt like I almost had to phrase things like I don't know more masculine or make it I had to like prove myself so much Mm -hmm. and that's exactly what was happening there it's like oh you need to prove yourself Mm -hmm. that you're like trans enough and going back into that like trans enough concept right which is
0: Right. Ridiculous. Which I think is part of where that being born in the wrong body comes from, like, or like, yeah. what it supports is like, that's when you're like the most trans or something, right? Right. But I, I just so much of my thinking, thinking is that like, gender is um, a really abstract concept, that it makes sense that anybody could feel confused or not um like understood in by like these two type boxes that were given right. and that anybody could want to make changes to their appearance or body in order to feel more comfortable when you only live once and it's like to me those things aren't like a symptom of some kind of internal issue but oh yeah
1: no way. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's so hard. I think everybody really does struggle with that. I mean, just on the smallest scale of men being told not to be sensitive or not mm-hmm. to cry. I feel like that directly, I mean, of course, it's sad that that is like a feminine thing, or that that's only associated with femininity of like showing emotions and being sensitive, right? which is insane. But I feel like it as soon as you're born, you're immediately told how you need to be acting. But I mm-hmm. agree that it is it is so much more complicated than we Right.
0: Right. Like make to me it if those things are symptoms of anything, it's like of our society. Yeah. But they're they're not like symptoms of like to me, it's just a totally reasonable thing. Like I just don't see anything pathological about it. Yeah. In the same way that it's like obviously changing your changing your body in some way is more intense than changing a certain kind of clothes you wear a hundred percent, but I think I would love if eventually we were at a place where they were treated similar in the sense that um that it were like easier to get one get it done, yeah, if it was just seen as like oh you feel discomfort around this body part and you'll feel better without it. Okay.
1: Yeah. No, 100%. I mean, that's exactly how it should be. It's mm-hmm. just unfortunate that it's like, okay, the only way you have to go about things this particular way now is so then you can get insurance mm-hmm. so you can have it covered. And I mean, there's right. a lot more with it. It's still is like seen as right. some sort of mental disorder of like, you have gender dysphoria, what Mm -hmm. I'm trying, I got to look it up exactly what it is, but it's just like, what is
0: Well, and there's some level that I was just thinking of too, whereas that I do think there's a lot of code switching in the sense that like trans people will say specific things that will be understood by a cis, that Mm -hmm. they think will be understood by a cis person the same way gay people do that. And that there are plenty of people that then in like a therapy or medical situation will say, Well, I was born in the wrong body, or I've always or when I was seven, I shaved my face. And so that's how I know I'm a trans guy, or whatever the thing is. Mm-hmm. And that there's some level of, I wonder if those things are sometimes said because they know they're the things to say. But since this is what the medical profession, the medical field, and therapists are hearing over and over again, "This is what they report out," and then those continue being the narratives, whether mm-hmm. or not they're actually reflective of the community at large. Does that make sense? Yes. <laughs> so, I think I kept up with you. No, I, <laughs>
1: I, I don't know. Now we're getting more into the theory side of it, which I love, <laughs> and I'm fine with that. I think they're. I think even talking about gender just as a theory is, Mm -hmm. if we're getting into that realm, is not comfortable for people. Mm -hmm. It's not, I don't know, I don't know why people seem so adverse to that, of like, talking about it. If we already talk about it so broadly, why Mm -hmm. can't we talk about it? more in depth mm-hmm. to like as in depth as we possibly can go with all right. of it. But I think I agree. I don't think it's as, I don't know. I see where you're coming from of people needing to prove, to prove mm-hmm. it to themselves and to prove it to anybody else. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's most things that we have to do that with anyways, but especially when you're trans. Right. Right. Well, it's like
0: for, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, no, no. A lot of people, for a lot of people, there's a feeling of when I pick the identity, I have to stick through it and I can't veer in any way or else I won't be seen as that identity. And the idea of like a trans person saying like, say a trans guy saying, oh, I don't know, sometimes I still feel like a woman and other times I feel like a man. And, you know, I don't know, people that kind of thinking and or talking a lot of times blows people's minds or people can't wrap their head around it. And then and I think even people in the in the queer community, I just think that I think it just comes back to a lot of people struggling with ambiguity and I think theory mm-hmm. is like really like accepting and encouraging of ambiguity. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think oh man, why am I,
1: thoughts so hard today, but I don't know, that's kind of going into what I was even saying earlier of just, well, I guess what we were both saying earlier about the boxes that we're automatically confined to, mm. and just the binary of, like, none of it, if we're going to go full theory route of just, like, really saying that things are performative, because how are they not? They, right, they 100% are So, but then to say (laughs) that Uh, it almost seems like we don't, right, no, I I do as well, but we don't, sometimes it almost seems like if you're saying that, that you don't fully see, I don't know, maybe it doesn't seem like that, of like, you're not fully seeing how people, if it is performative of how people are fully
0: struggling with this. Right, well, I think that's why some people think that Judith Butler is transphobic. Which I totally, like, uh, don't agree with that sentiment. Um, But I think that's part of where it comes from. Where it's like, if you're saying that it's performative, it's almost like people think if you say gender is performative, then you're saying trans people aren't real. Which Mm -hmm. I, like, don't think it's that simplistic.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I... I know, I guess since it's, like, so in my head of it being <laughs> performative, it it's almost hard for me to see any other argument. Yeah. If that makes sense. I think sense. I'm, I'm probably like, in the I same boat. I don't really... I don't know. It's like, of course... course, trans people exist. That's always, I don't Mm -hmm. know why I I feel like I need to say that. It's like, we're both trans and we're talking (laughs) about this. Mm -hmm. So obviously, but I think it's always, everybody are going to see things differently within any sort of community, especially the trans community. I mean, even in the gay community, it's almost like trans people are like outcasts and non-binary people are like outcasts Mm -hmm. from the trans community. Mm -hmm. So it's like, even within your own community, you're not being trans enough. Or mm-hmm. queer enough, where it's just not. It's, I
0: don't know. All of it is very right. It's, well, there is like a lot. Said, of, it's
1: not as simple as we make it out to be,
0: right? And there is a lot of talk of like gender expression and gender identity aren't the same, but I think we place a big hi- hierarchy on certain gender expressions or the ways gen- gender identity sometimes manifest. Um right. And uh and I think we like equate the two all the time while continuing to say like I'm seen as less non binary because I dress currently dress feminine and I was born, I was assigned female. So mm-hmm. I'm seen as then conforming to what I was assigned to. So then therefore I'm not really nonbinary. But if I yeah. like shave my head and wore a button up, all of a sudden I'm super nonbinary. Like it's like so insane. I mean (laughs) yeah (laughs) like to me I mean that's how I I feel
1: yeah because it does feel like
0: simplifying it
1: right and then going back to the book I feel like that's also why it's so it's so hard of this is a part of you Mm-hmm. This is how you feel. This is what mm-hmm. feels most comfortable. Mm-hmm. But then if you revert back to any way of, like, Lou dressing... Lou Sullivan, not you, mm-hmm. Lou. Like right, right. Dressing more <laughs> feminine, which, of course, we talked about that as being more... In- that's more of an internalized struggle that they mm-hmm. were going through. But I think as... I don't know. I feel like it's eventually not going to be like that. Yeah. Where if it slowly things are changing and people see that femmes are real, like, mm-hmm. femmes are fucking out here and they exist, but people don't recognize it mm-hmm. as, like, being... If you're femme and you're non-binary and you're AFAB, mm-hmm. then it's just, like, why how is it any different than being cis and it's like people automatically people right you're just trying want to, to be like cool. erase yeah people <laughs> i mean it's sad when people say that some things relating to gender are trendy mhm so i think it's like there is so much in our culture that is just like an erasure of anything other
0: than the binary and it's Mm -hmm. really ingrained in all of us to try Mm -hmm. and do that
2: Mm -hmm.
0: when it's the same with um people assigned male who identify as non-binary and don't like wear lipstick or skirts like are still dressing in like quote-unquote male clothes yeah because I think that happens often too I just think we probably don't It's probably even maybe like less talked about.
1: Yeah. Right. Right. Because again, yeah, we're trying to. People need, I don't know, people just need to be looked a certain, people need to look a certain way in order to be recognized. Right. Apparently. Right. And that, when has that ever been good?
0: (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I think the more, I don't know. The more people have conversations like this or like the, – and the more people are open about who they are, you know, um, despite whatever other people may think about it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think over time, I mean, just like there's been a million waves of feminism. We continue – there continues <laughs> to be like new, I don't know, waves of gen- gender thought, like popular gender thought. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I'm eager to see what will happen in say like the next 5 or 10 years now that the last few years have there has been more of a mainstream um focus on trans people, what that'll mean for the movement say 5 or 10 years from now.
2: Yeah. In the which same way which,
0: that once there was more of a focus on gay people, what that Yeah. then meant for gay people over which time. That's
1: exciting to think about, which going yeah. ba- from that, so I started reading, I need to finish it, but what Lou Sullivan wrote, the their one main pamphlet, the information for the female to male mm-hmm. cross-dresser and transsexual. So I was like really curious about that, which reading some of it, it is mostly, it does talk about, it's going into cross-dressing and transsexuals, but it's like the beginning is just talking about like women who just dress masculine and saying mm-hmm. that that's cross-dressing mm-hmm. and just getting into that. And it's like, well, why this is acceptable. So it's so mm-hmm. it's like wild to read that about like when this put, was put out of just like how different things have already changed. Mm-hmm. So then there's like one of the first few pages, this is what they say. And this kind of blew, this blew my mind a little bit. But it says, a distinction must be made between basic sexual identity, and then in parentheses, am I a boy or a girl? And then, and gender role preference. And then in parentheses, do I prefer typically masculine or typically female things? Mm. So that, that kind of blew my mind of like, so still in this, like, the idea of sexual identity... And then now there's gender identity. Like mm-hmm. those two don't go hand in hand. Like they're completely different from each other right. separate from each other. So when I was reading this, that, that blew my mind. And that also, I don't know. It's like when you're reading this book, you kind of need to put yourself into a completely different mental space mm-hmm. of like thinking about how things were viewed at the time. Right. And then it kind of makes more sense from there. But then also the gender role preference so that one really threw me because I feel like I have not seen anything that has talked about that yeah. in a very long time. But that, I don't know. I'm well, just like having it. It seems like. like. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Oh, I was just going to say like the gender role preference, I guess to think about that now is more of like. We now have a better understanding of like associating it with like masculine energy or feminine energy, mm-hmm. and just like people, everybody has those sides to them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like you have, like you are masculine. There are masculine things and there are feminine things, mm-hmm. and we all have that in us. Right. So it's funny of how it's just so simplified. Mm-hmm. How it's like just that of like what is your gender role preference, mm-hmm. and it's just one or the other. Right, and that blows my mind.
0: Well, and to me, there's, but there, to me, there's some level of like. So the conversations have been. There's we've always had st- the same conversations or some of the same understanding. We're just changing the language we use to talk about it. Um, that's like part of what I take for that. Obviously, that's not it's not that black and white, completely true. But like, it's like the gender role question. It sounds so different the way it's phrased compared to how we would talk about it now. But, like, now could we say, and do you identify more with masculine energy or female energy or whatever? Where it's like, right, right. It's almost asking the same thing.
1: Yeah, (laughs) yeah. But it just, yeah, right, right. It's like, yeah, of course it's phrased differently, but then it's funny if you just add in a few more words or change it, how much more broad it can be.
0: Yeah. I just saw a post today about someone saying we have to stop saying masculine energy and female energy because it's still just, like, supporting the binary. We're just, like, saying the same thing in a different way. Which
1: I was actually going to spring <laughs> up and say, which is funny that I you agree. just said that. Because I,
0: right. I think there
1: – yes, I think so. I think there is just – it, it sounds so much nicer, but I right. think it is. Right, it just, is. like, feels
0: – yeah, people just like saying it but more. But
1: I – I don't know. That one, I guess maybe this is going to be one of those things like five years from now that we're going to be thinking about masculine and feminine energy and then Mm -hmm. the younger generation is going to be like, what the hell are you talking about? That's that's not okay. Like That's not a real thing. So I I agree. I mean, I feel like when people say that, I I understand where it's coming from and Mm -hmm. I know what people mean it's not as like you're saying black or white but I think it's so much more broad mm-hmm. than we make it out to be of like what I guess but or do we need to have such different distinctions on these things right
2: I would say is probably that, not. is that necessary
1: right because then but then all of this does just come back to <laughs> is it performative mm-hmm. so of like they all kind of go Hand in hand then. If it's like eventually in the future we're going to get to a point maybe where there's none of this. Right. Of like there are no differences. There are there are so many differences that it's just like there's no way to completely simplify it. Right. I'm just like having boy, girl, masculine, feminine. Mm-hmm. Which is exciting to think about because I think at that point in time then of course things can be so much more open and broad and then there's going to be – it will feel freer for people to automatically not be confined in such a way or right. to feel you can't express yourself in so many different ways.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like so many people feel that now. Right. But One, then if, if you-, you don't, then if you're like stepping out from that, mm-hmm. it's so hard for you to go about your life
2: mm-hmm.
1: unless you're like living in your own bubble where you're, which is also, I mean, that's sad that, to do But it's Mm -hmm. of course where people feel safest and there is nothing wrong with that. But it's just like, I love being surrounded by queer people. Like that is when I feel safest. That feels good to me. But if you look any different, it's like, you need to watch yourself.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, and I think there's some level of, for that to happen, the conversations and I don't know, ways we think about desirability would also have to change because to me, I think that gender's role in society is very impacted by desirability. And I think it's sometimes gender or desirability is impacted by gender, but I think like, I don't know, it's in a different way or it's less often. Like I feel like desirability is just such a driving force for um, so many people and why they do the things they do and, um, and because we're in such a heavily like marketing advertising society, constantly telling us this is hot, this is not hot. Um, uh, yeah. so I just think, I think that's what stops so many people from experimenting. It's like, Oh, well, well, people still think I'm hot. Yeah. I know that was right. a lot of it for me, admittedly. Yeah. Where I was like, oh, no, will people I am attracted to still be attracted to me if I'm, like, openly gender variant? Right. Or will they be afraid? Which I think it's, like, then people also have to, like, check themselves on what their desire, what they're typically drawn to, and why could they be attracted to other types of people? Because so much of our attraction comes from familiarity and being attracted like some some being attracted to someone that can kind of like that we can like create an archetype around pretty easily in our minds. Yeah. Um and I think sometimes like I think in my own experience people struggling with my gender has come from a place of being uncomfortable with being attracted to me. Uh-huh. Even though I was like also like quote unquote masculine acting. Yeah. And then so I think it's, like, on people to always be, like, kind of, like, seeing am I attracted to these different things and then is that okay? Right. Because I think for some people in my position, again, going off, I mean, me being in femme butch relationships, I think sometimes then for some reason it can feel emasculating to be attracted to someone who's also masculine in some way. Mm Mm-hmm. So then it's like, oh, well, if I'm attracted to a person, this person who's being super masculine right now, then that calls into question my masculinity.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: When, like, I don't think it does, but. Right. Right. No, people do. Mm-hmm. All the time. Just say, I mean,
1: I feel like that's, like, such a. I don't know. I, again, that like, there's probably so many more gay men that we know of.
2: -hmm. That just
1: aren't out because, again, it's like feels if they're attracted to other. Mm -hmm. Say you're like, I don't know, a macho dude, right? Like a bear, like the bear community Mm -hmm. is so real. I don't know. I think probably
0: who are worried that women will be less attracted to them,
1: right? Right. Because, again, it all comes down to, yeah, seeming. Masculating, which is mm-hmm. horrible right
0: right we really just went down some some different rabbit holes there yeah,
1: yeah <laughs> just a little bit
0: <laughs> i have 14 minutes until i uh hold a reading host a virtual reading group at or not reading group writing group at a rehab center therefore nice thanks i would like to wrap it up so that i can <laughs> pee and eat something
1: there we go before that nice.
0: um so my the thing that I always close with is that um I think you know I know you love to read I love to read books can be so impactful on people's lives and the way they look at the world and the you know their own worldview being shaped and blah blah, blah. so and blah 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 so with <laughs> this book what is what is something from it that you'll take away and like continue thinking about I,
1: I think really the, I mean, I've always been open to anything with like sexual identity or gender variance or like just exploring in general, but I think this book is good just to really, I think, stay true to that for myself. And I think whenever I'm reading a book like this, I think it really just, like, opens up another door of, like, these things are complicated. Even for yourself, they're so much more complicated Mm -hmm. than you make it out to be. And I think accepting that complexity is a big part of, like, gender identity for myself. And I feel like that is something that Lou is really talking about. Mm -hmm. Of, like, the complexity of gender and then also sexual identity. Both of them. Mm
2: -hmm. They're
1: not connected. They don't have to be. But I think it's just like me being more open to whether it's like how I feel, I don't know, sexually for gender stuff. I think it is it just like shined a light on being more open and going for things. Because it's like Lou is in these relationships where he's constantly told not to go for it. But he still does like he's brave in that and like pursuing that and like these things for himself and his own happiness. So I think it's like one of those things of like I need to be doing those things for myself Mm. and not for anybody else. So I think that there's a lot to take away from it. There's a lot to think about. But I would say those things of accepting the complexities, I guess, Mm -hmm. I would say of gender and yeah, gender identity and sexual identity. I think is really important.
0: Yeah, I would say for me, reading him kind of what we were talking about earlier on of feeling secure, then unassured, unself-assured and then secure again, like seeing that in his relationships, I feel like to me was like, kind of like a helpful reminder to like be more patient
2: mm-hmm. and
0: like um, self have more self-acceptance, like reading someone's like, Cause I feel like so often in like social media age, we're seeing like one, like seeing the highlights in one version of a person, like at all times pretty much, but to see someone's like ups and downs emotionally, it's kind of like this good acknowledgement that it's like normal to like go through those ups and downs. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. (laughs) Yeah. And I really liked the resolving the male female conflict. Like I'm going to continue thinking about that idea the like the idea of the male female conflict. Yeah. Just cause I thought it was super fun. No, for sure. Um, Do you have, I don't, it looks like you deleted your social media. Do you have anything you want to tell people to go to to find you? Um, I have an email.
1: <laughs> that's, uh, that's kind of it that I could put out there. I do you want to play social your media, email? social media is too, I think it's become to be too much for, for me to bear. I'm on it too much. I'm too addicted to social media that mm-hmm. I really had to give myself to have myself be off it. That's the only way for me to
0: Yeah, that makes sense. with it.
1: But, yeah, I put my email out there, which would be wild if somebody emailed me. It'd yeah, you can funny. Uh,
0: talk to Rhodes at RhodesRosman at gmail.com. There we go. <laughs> yep. Ask them what they're baking. Yeah, there we go. Send me uh, Send a queer books to read. Yeah, book oh, yeah. recommendations. Yeah, that's good. All right, sweet. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Let's, this was uh, great. Yeah, thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for being here. I love (laughs) you. It's to be here.
1: I love you too.
0: Okay. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Another episode down. I want to thank Rhodes Rosman for being on the episode today. I also want to thank Lou Sullivan, who is no longer with us for all of the work he did, and for making sure his diaries were in the hands of people to preserve them so that they could be published this year. I also want to thank Rhodes Rosman again. Rhodes, just thanks for being a great friend and a great guest on the show today. I also want to thank Savannah Tracy for editing today's podcast. I want to thank Samantha Grace for giving us the phenomenal theme song for this podcast. I want to thank Coley Pozzoli for adding something extra to the ads. I want to thank Noelle Richard for creating the illustration for the cover art for this podcast and Lauren McAndrews for designing the podcast cover art. I want to thank our sponsors, Barbara Marie Minnie and Max Bax Books on Coventry. Please support your local bookstores. Lastly, I want to thank you, you, you are still here. You have listened to the fourth episode, there is something about the first three that you said, I want to listen again. I want to listen to more. So thank you so much for doing that. I love you. I love you. I love you. Uh, please consider supporting us on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash Lou Barrett. We also have merch. We have merch. Uh, you can buy that on wwwpurplepalmpresscom shop. We have a sweater and some stickers, so please support. If you ever want to join in on the conversation, please email your thoughts about any of the books we've read to queerdiscourse at gmail.com. All right, I'd say that does it. Have a great day and I will talk to you all next time.
4: Bye.